I'm Stephen Perkins, Editor-in-Chief of the Outset Network, and welcome to my podcast. This week, I'm talking with Caleb Franz. Caleb is a wonderful contributor at OutsetMagazine.com, and he's also the host of a new podcast that we have right here on the Outset Podcast Network, Liberty, the voice of liberty for a new generation. In this episode, I chatted with Caleb about the state of politics today, uh, the state of libertarianism, the future of the GOP, and whether or not libertarianism has a place in the future of the GOP, among many other things. I'm very excited to not only have a show launching on this network, but to have you listen to this interview with him. Uh, Caleb is someone who I think will, will do really well in his new role as the host of The Liberty. And I hope that you check out his podcast. You can actually go right now on iTunes and subscribe to it. There's an introductory episode already out. And by the time you're listening, this will actually already be premiered. So I encourage you to check him out. I encourage you to sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with Caleb Franz. Well, Caleb, I'm very excited to have you uh, here this week. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, and then we'll talk about kind of your history in politics. Okay, so um, obviously my name is Caleb Franz. I uh, am a staunch libertarian. <laughs> I uh, I write a lot. I obviously now am the the host of the Liberty on Outset, and I like to be mischievous and uh, talk about how I hate roads, obviously. And as a libertarian does, as, as the libertarian does, as any good libertarian can claim to be. Um, and I love fighting for freedom. For sure. So I, I'm always curious how people get into politics, not not just interested in it, but how they first make that leap to uh, to jump in and get involved in political activism. What, what was that moment for you? Um, so one of my passions has, it's always kind of been writing to some extent. Um, writing and radio have both been um, incredibly influential on me so I always found that that's more so than video means I always found a certain amount of rawness to both writing and radio and uh, since writing obviously takes considerably less to um, try to get, get all the everything in the works for um, that's where I started I started writing columns I write, started writing articles I think I wrote my first article back in 2012 during uh, that presidential campaign and I published it in my local newspaper and uh, ever since then it's, it's just been a blast were you ever like so for me it was 2008 when I first kind of got that spark of interest in politics do you remember much about 2008 or were you more towards the 2012 side of things yeah yeah absolutely um 2012 was more or less whenever my activism um really started 
growing, but 2008 was certainly where my my interest peaked in, in, in the political process because at that point I was like, you know what, this, this is the kind of stuff that is going to affect me in 10, 20, 30 years. Um, I feel like this is something I should at least take note in and at least pay attention to. And the more I dived into it, the more I became interested, the more I um, really wanted to just learn, um, whether it was about history, because history for me was um, kind of my forte before politics. So I already had that that kind of fire in my belly for, for history. But then whenever I started applying the political process to it, it became very natural to me. And I just began digging up as much as I possibly could about anything. Yeah. I, uh, so what's interesting is that 2008, you, you look at where things were then, and then you look at where things are now, especially um, with kind of on the libertarian or, or liberty-leaning side of things. Things have changed drastically and I think a lot of people um, a lot of people to the right of center have had to not only adapt but I think there's there's now been a lot of kind of confusion about how certain things have ended up um, and I, I remember in 2008 when you had kind of this Ron Paul revolution and you had kind of a, a weaker version of 2012 and then this year we had the closest thing maybe Rand Paul running um, but so this year we have Gary Johnson as the Libertarian candidate, which I think, looking back to 2008, where the Libertarian candidate was Bob Barr. I don't know if you remember him, but I, I put up posters in my neighborhood for Bob Barr. No one knew who this guy was. Gary Johnson has a little bit better name recognition, but a lot of people are not happy with him. They, they don't think that he um, they don't think he's the Libertarian that the Libertarian Party should have nominated this year. I'm interested in what you think about the Libertarian Party, how there's kind of been this shift of Libertarians going from trying to work within the Republican side of the party. And now I, I feel like they are going towards the Libertarian Party. And, and, and in some regards, they are kind of abandoning ship of the GOP and they're, they're going full third party. Um, so the first question to you is actually, do you consider yourself a Republican um, an independent? Are you on that libertarian party side? What do you What do you go by there? When it comes to partisan politics, I have found myself much more aligned in just straight independent thinking, and I will go after individuals as opposed to straight party. I have no problem voting for a Democrat. If that means that that's the closest thing to liberty that you're going to get, um, I back whenever the 2016 election began, of course we had uh, Jim Webb, and if it was an election out of in crazy circumstances, if this was an election between Jim Webb between him and Donald Trump, I'm pretty confident I would have went with uh, Jim Webb if again the the Libertarians kept with uh, Gary Johnson. Yeah. Um, because to me, that just seems like uh, that just seems like out of those three choices, it's sad to say that that would be the most liberty-oriented choice. So Gary Johnson, um, I, not the perfect libertarian, 
Um, in some regards, not a libertarian. There's that argument to be made. Um, but are, are, are you inclined to support him this year? Or, or what is your stance on Gary Johnson? So... I, I really, about. yeah, well, you see, I really like the idea of a third party candidate coming up in, in national prominence and raising up and making a huge impact. I love that idea. That's, uh, you know, I would have loved to seen him, quite frankly, and Jill Stein at the same time on that debate stage with Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, because I am always open to more voices as opposed to less. And, and, I think it's time that America um, breaks away from the mentality that there are only two options in, in politics today. Because honestly, that's not where most of America is. We are not stuck between Republicans and Democrats, and if you're not on this side, you're on that side. I think most of Americans tend to be somewhere in between, um, and I think that offering more voices like that will actually help a lot of people find their political home. When it comes to Gary Johnson himself, I really want to support him. I really do. I really want to support the Libertarian candidate. However, I have a very basic uh, litmus test for any presidential candidate. And this is, this is the same that I, I put all the Republicans through whenever we were in the primary season. Um, obviously, I supported Rand, but then whenever he dropped out, I took a little bit of time looking around because I wasn't quite ready to support Ted Cruz. Um, and then when Austin Peterson really became uh, you know, rising in the polls and rising um, among libertarians... I felt comfortable enough to go with them. Um, but as when it comes to Gary Johnson, I think there's a basic litmus test for me that you actually have to support um, life, liberty, and property. And for at least two of those, I know that Gary doesn't cross the box because he's obviously very uh, pro-choice and as a pro-life libertarian I cannot consciously get behind that um, and at the same time he has a lot of very and, and I'm not saying I'm not willing to compromise but it's compromising for the sake of compromise that bothers me as opposed to compromising um, for the sake of liberty yeah. that's what our founders understood and I think that's really the real difference between compromise today and compromise way back then, is that they always made, made strides toward liberty. Even if it was half steps, they were always moving forward. They never regressed. Gary, I like to think of him as kind of the ultimate moderate. And uh, while that can be good in some regards, ultimately, it's going to do more harm to liberty itself because at the end of the day, whenever you're compromising, the only ones who's, who really are, are winning are the forces of big government and of statism because they're the ones who, who really know how 
to get what they want at the end of the day. And even if we think that we're making the right compromise, it ends up coming back to bite us in the end. What's interesting to me about Gary Johnson is when you look at his career in New Mexico and what he did there as governor, he, he was a, a very... He was a very effective politician, very effective leader at working with a Democratic um, state legislator um, and, and putting in some of those physically responsible or physically conservative ideas. And with social issues, he, he does have kind of that challenging area. And I think that's because of the background that he comes from. Um, similar to Donald Trump, the reason why he held, I mean, you just look at, at where he came from and some of his more social issues make sense. So with Gary Johnson, he, he troubles me because he has a successful background as a governor, and I think that he is a good governor in terms of knows how to govern. Um, I, I'm not sure if I get as caught up as, as many libertarians in some of the specifics. I, I know there were a lot of reports about some troubling ideas that he had about trade or about, uh, you know, there's the infamous gay baker or, or Christian baker, yeah. like all these different types of scenarios. And for me, I, I've been struggling back and forth between this. Okay, you have you have the two evils, which I, I'd say maybe just the two bad people, not I wouldn't characterize them as evil. Um, and so you have to choose the lesser of them or Gary Johnson is either the lesser of them or not an evil at all. Um, and, and my kind of personal take on that, and as I've told people why I can't vote for Donald Trump, is that I think evil is evil is evil. And, and it's all it's kind of like in Christianity when if you sin, you're the same type of sinner as, as another sinner. It doesn't matter what that sin was. And so I think if you're a bad presidential candidate, you're bad. And, and there's not there's not a lesser of that, if that makes sense. So with Gary Johnson, I'm inclined to support him. Um, because I know that he has a good record. Um, I, I don't agree with him on 100% of things, but I don't. I, I would not characterize him as the lesser of two or three evils um, because I, I think compared to Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, he has a far better idea of what America should be. However, this does kind of... What worries me about the Libertarian Party, well, one of the things that worries me about the Libertarian Party is the messaging has been all over the place. Um, and and it, the same has been true with the Republican Party. It's kind of been like everyone knows what Democrats stand for. Not everyone knows until now, unfortunately, what Republicans really stand for. And there's still some divides there. But even the Libertarian Party, it's been, well, we get the general premise, but we don't understand what their platform really is. When, when Austin Peterson came along, I thought that that was somewhat of a better direction. But the thing that, that was challenging about Austin Peterson was his idea that we should allow, or he, he had this, this common phrase of, let's allow gay marijuana growers to guard their marijuana plants with AK-47s and all, all this stuff. Is well, I, felt, I, felt, yeah. <laughs> I felt like that appealed to people within the Libertarian Party. But I don't feel like it appealed to people outside of the Libertarian Party who were looking in and going, should I support this party? And so what Gary Johnson has done, in my view, is for the first time, I think the Libertarian candidate is pulling people in and they're saying, oh, th this is interesting. And maybe he's not a viable choice. Like maybe it's very unlikely that he will win. But his ideas are interesting and his approach is kind of interesting. 
Um, now, granted, some of his ideas may not be libertarian or some of them may not be what the bulk of libertarians agree with. But I think in terms of messaging, the party is in somewhat of a better place now. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with some of that. However, I have also noticed that one of Gary's big problems has been that he tends to like to appeal to um, very, very left-leaning individuals as opposed to having a a pretty well-balanced. He'll go to, you know, some – I think he was on, you know, Glenn Beck talking about how he aligns 73% or 75% with Bernie Sanders. Um, so I can, I can see to some extent, you know, the, the mass appeal, but at the same time, he also seems to alienate a lot of liberty oriented conservatives, um, as opposed to just trying to, you know, bring everyone, actually bring everyone together. Whereas, um, with, with Austin, Whenever you know you mentioned his his little his little slogan there, um, I I think that that actually appealed to more uh, people on all sides of the aisle rather than not, and I think it's because it was a a, a completely bold stance, and b it was very non-conventional, because he's saying yes I support I support gay married couples, I support marijuana legalization. But here's the trick. I can also support gun rights. And and it really opened up an entirely new mindset, I think, to a wide uh, variety of individuals because a lot of people thought that these are these are issues that they can't even come close to crossing together. And because of that, because of his his presidential race, um, I think that now a lot of a lot more people are thinking less in the terms of left-right narrative and more in the terms of authoritarian, libertarian narrative. Yeah, I, I've heard that. And I think that that's a great shift. Um, and I speak to people, I, I go to a, a liberal university. I mean, for, for all intents and purposes, it's a liberal university. And certainly the political... Aren't, aren't, aren't they all, though? Well, yeah, most of them. <laughs> but but even, even more so, certainly the political science department here is extremely liberal, which again, most political science departments right. are. It's liberal yeah. arts. I get it. Um, but even even here, people are interested in the libertarian message. They may not agree completely with Gary Johnson. Some of them have told me he's in the race, it seems, simply just so he can legalize marijuana, which is some people's prerogative. That's fine. Um, I don't necessarily completely out of out of the... <laughs> realm of possibilities it's, but it's very possible but uh and he hasn't done it in like three months so you know but but a lot of people are saying you know i i am finding myself being more of a libertarian because i feel like the the democratic party has gone so far left and the republican party has gone so far right um that the i would use the term the level-headed people um in in kind of the middle area um, but also people who don't give in to extreme ideologies are kind of feeling a little homeless. So but what I'm what I'm really interested in is, is how the Republican Party adapts. Uh, I believe that Donald Trump is going to lose in November. Um, I don't know if you uh, would agree with that. Um, 
Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure yet because I, I, I'm not comfortable at this point. I thought I knew how this election was going sure. to turn yeah, out, you, at you least to some degree, this time last year. And everything that I predicted was completely flipped on its head. Like, I never would have imagined that the last three Republican candidates was going to be Donald Trump, <laughs> Ted Cruz. I, I kind of saw that one, but yeah. just in this mix is very odd. And John Kasich, John Kasich of all people. Yeah. You know, and he's my governor, and I'm like, nobody likes John Kasich. <laughs> I never people, saw that people, happening. People outside of your state like John Kasich. That's that's the that's the yeah. I think I think say. that that's a, that is a very fair and very valid um, statement there. So we'll use the framework if Donald Trump loses in November, which okay. st- you know, if if you if you're a fan of Nate Silver, statistically, it's very likely. If you look at his ground game. He has virtually none. So, but if um, if he loses in November, and the GOP for the third time for the third presidential election now has to go, where the hell did we go wrong? There, I th- there's a number of things that can happen. Um, there was there was one article in Vox, which I do read occasionally, talking about party realignment and saying that that for both parties they're facing this issue of. Is there going to be a realignment for the Democrats, especially before Bernie dropped out? It was all right. Are we going to have this this kind of moderate progressive Clinton wing win or are we going to have this extremely progressive semi-socialist, democratic socialist, however you want to label it? Democratic. San- Democratic. Yeah. Uh, Sanders <laughs> Sanders wing win. And, and so the prediction of uh, of of the author in that one was that the clinton wing would eventually win and that the the new democratic party would be um a, a little more moderate progressive cuz hillary is is certainly a moderate no matter how much of a true progressive she tries to make herself to be um but but what's more interesting to me is within the republican party you now have this shift towards suburban and rural uh nationalism um, and to me, nationalism scares the hell out of me, not just because of some of the ideas of it, but because it's, it's just, to me, it's an ignorant ideology. Um, and, yeah, and, and it's not where I, it's not where I think you win. I, a nationalist populist message um, is such a challenge to, to actually win on. But for the purpose of this discussion, I'm interested in your thoughts on where libertarianism what the future of libertarianism within the Republican Party is, because we still have people like Rand Paul, who who's, will likely be a senator again. And, and we still have Ted Cruz, who is more Tea Party. But you could argue there's there's definitely those libertarian roots in there. Certainly. What is your analysis of the GOP post 2016? I know that, again, the guessing is like it's insane yeah. to even make guesses. But what would your hope be that they do? I think it's going to be really dependent upon whether or not Trump does, in fact, win or not. If he loses, I think that um, I know that you know I know I know that you wrote an article about this you know some time ago, and I think that their chance of survival will be reliant upon um, libertarian-leaning senators. Um, representatives in both uh, Congress and in state houses and on the local level. Um, now, 
that's coming from me, whereas I really don't really care if the GOP survives or not. Um, but I do care about... I, I, I think that our, one of our biggest problems as a country is that um, we are at this point because we have put so much emphasis on the presidency. We, we, we raise this thing up like it's this big beauty pageant. And that is exactly the opposite in seventeen in the seventeen nineties of what they intended for um, the executive branch. It was supposed to be something that dealt with um, international affairs, um, to be kind of a, a chief ambassador of sorts, uh, and and enforce the law. Now we're at the point to where. It's as if the president has control of everything, and I think that's the real issue. It's it's. I know Jeffrey Tucker wrote um, an incredible article on this um, a few months ago that I think really has influenced my thinking on this, um, and it's that the real tragedy is that the presidency actually matters when it shouldn't, and I think that regardless of who wins. It, it, we cannot put any more focus upon the presidency, at least not as much as what we as what we do, because obviously if you're going to get like a Rand Paul in there, then that's going to do a lot of good, and it will do a lot of the things that I'm talking about right now and restoring the balance of powers. But whenever you're putting somebody like Donald Trump in there or Hillary Clinton, um, I think that we're just going to continue down the same road, and what – really is going to help stop that is putting more of an emphasis on the congressional level, on the state level, and on the local level. Because that is, it's it's the system of federalism. It's the check that we put on the executive branch yeah. and on the federal government. What I, what I am, uh, I agree with you. I, I'm intrigued by people who they're, they're involved in politics and their only focus are is the presidential elections um, mm -hmm. and it annoys the hell out of me because I think like and, and people get discouraged. If you remember when Donald Trump effectively became the nominee, there were people saying, I'm done with the GOP. I'm done with yeah. politics. And, and in my view, it's like, OK, if, if you if, if you don't support the Republican Party anymore, like on a national level, that's fine. But do not let a guy who's running for the top office um, kind of kind of spoil politics and make you think that well it, nothing matters now because the reality is most people who work on that framework they're not getting involved on the local level and when you mm -hmm. when you look at where real change comes from it comes from the local level i mean really mo politics is a bottom-up type of system all as much as it seems like a top-down from the presidency um, but I, I agree we do need a de-emphasis on the presidency and i think more people need to get involved uh, and, and get interested in, in more of the local stuff. I think part of that is you, you look at Congress's approval rating. It's 10%. Has, have we gone to single digits now? I, I mean, I, it's, I'm pretty sure it's, it's, you know, fluctuated, but it's, it's gone between like eight and 12% or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculously low. It, well, in, in the nineties, you know, it used oh. to be in the 40, like around 40%. And what's incredible in the 90s is you had a Democratic president, you had a Republican Congress, and bills were actually passed. Things actually got done. 
Um, it wasn't the perfect situation. 40% is still quite low. But my point is, is that Congress's approval rating is around, let's say, 10%. If you ask an individual about their congressperson, oh, we love them. Oh, they're great. Oh, you know, yeah. they... Yeah, they, isn't, isn't that the funny thing about yeah. it? Yeah, and, and I, everybody's I, congressman, but mine yeah. is horrible. They're but the mine problem. is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, certainly, that's certainly the issue. And granted, there are some good congressmen, but you have to look at it realistically. It's like, you know, most of these people suck. And most of these people need to be replaced. And I, I remember there was a, there was a movement I, in 2008 or 2009, around the time when the Tea Party started up, called Get Out of Our House. I don't know if you remember that, but it was a big movement to clear out the uh, clear out the House of Representatives and start fresh. Yeah. But but you know, yeah, the, I think uh, I think Bernie Sanders, uh, like some of their political organizers, started something similar about that, which oh, yeah. I find is so ironic because. They're, quote, continuing the revolution of somebody who has been in Congress for longer than some of us have even been alive. Yeah, career certainly, politician. Certainly the ones who, who are starting this thing. So, yeah, I, th- I thought that was so funny. But I, th- I think that, you know, people need to start thinking about on the local level and, and kind of pay as much attention to who you're sending to Congress as who you're sending to the White House. Um, and, you know, over the years, the, there's not been one administration where the presidency um, has has gotten any smaller. The executive branch has gotten larger. And part of the argument is, well, kind of as as the world modernizes, we need a bigger executive branch and the president should be doing more things. And uh, th- that's the argument, though. The argument yeah, I know, is, I know is it is. The and, government and I, I to, can't buy that at all. I think that maybe a little bit, may, you know, I, I don't think we should go back to the executive branch of 1800, but we should, may, you know, I, I agree that maybe a little bit of expansion is okay, but within the Constitution is kind of where I draw the line. That's our limit, um, and, and certainly don't create new, new powers for yourself, but that's a topic for another discussion. Um, but yeah, I, I think the Republican Party as I wrote in that article that you mentioned, has an opportunity to capitalize on this new generation uh, of, of people, and not even new generation. I mean, other generations are getting in line with this, but this idea, this notion that maybe the government shouldn't be in charge of so much, and, and maybe maybe we should be de-emphasizing the power of the federal government, the power of the presidency, and uh, and but you look at things that happened after 2008 and 2012 and the the GOP is not very good about learning from their mistakes. Um I you know it's it's funny because I really thought that they finally had their act together around 2014 early 2015 all these great these great guys these great champions of liberty were starting to rise up and I thought that um, 2016 is going to be our ch- it's, it's going to be yeah. our chance. It's our time. But what I didn't realize is how embedded um, the idea of like we were talking about earlier, the idea of like nationalism and, and populism, nativism, protectionism. I didn't realize how deeply embedded these ideas were in in. Uh, a lot of the new formed Republican voters. And what I think is really ironic is that here's the great irony of, of all of this. We've gone completely full circle. 
because Donald Trump this year for Republicans is what Barack Obama was in 2008 for the Democrats. He was the one who was going to flip the entire thing on its head. He was the one who was the hope and change. And that's essentially more or less what Donald Trump is now. He's he's the one amassing these amazingly ginormous crowds. Huge. To, huge crowds. Huge, huge crowds um, to to come listen to him. And it's and it's a spectacle, much like the way that Barack Obama was in in two thousand eight. And I think that with a uh, Trump presidency, that's exactly we're going to get more or less the same thing. Um, that we got from 2008 to 2016. Um, I the, the tragedy of that, of course, is that you know the Democrats never really had any liberty orientation, whereas the Republicans at least had some remnants of it. Um, and I think that when Donald Trump does win, if he does, or if he does lose, I mean, um, that's will be our chance to truly reboot and say we don't want that to happen again this is this is we have to start cutting our ties with with the ultra right we have to start cutting our ties with these ideas that it is um it's it's protectionism that makes america great while at the same time not dipping too far on the other side to where we are going everywhere in the world um you know the marco rubio that that's the real danger after 2016 is whether we're going to be people off by calling out marco rubio i know i know (laughs) and and happily so Uh, that's that's the real danger is whether or not we are going to become a party of Rand paul or a party of marco rubio because that i think is going to be the real divide donald trump is is after he loses it's going to be a thing of the past it's going to be a political spectacle but the real um, way of the future is going to be one of those two. And I think if we go the way, the route of Mark Rubio, it's a lot of the old, same old policies with a new and fresh face. And I think that's incredibly dangerous. Um, whereas if we go the route of Rand Paul, Thomas Massey, Justin Amash, um, these kind of people, uh, I think that is our way forward. And I think that's our way back to not only national prominence, but at the same time, um, back to just standing for something, standing for something that that really, really matters, standing for the Constitution. Sure. I, I agree with that. I think the GOP um, has an opportunity to do some great messaging. Um, Paul Ryan, even though if, if you may disagree with some of his ideas, the way that he messages uh, what he calls a better way, a, a GOP agenda I that I, I think it's really effective. I think it's something that we need to focus on. We need, we need to stop focusing on on um, on what we're for necessarily, or, or sorry, we, we need to stop focusing on what we're against, but what we're for and why we're for it. And we need to start talking about, it, it's not that we're just for school choice. It's because we're for, for school choice because we believe that children deserve a better future. We're not for private health care because we just want private health care. We're for it because we believe that people should have better access. and and. It's the framework of, of we have solutions rather than we have talking points that that uh, that we're pissed about. Um, so I I hope uh, just as you do that that that's kind of the direction that the party goes in uh, into. 
So uh, on that note, I want to leave some time for you to talk about your new show. Tell us kind of what the format of that is going to be, what the purpose of the show is going to be, and give us some information on, uh, on where they can find it. Yeah, so uh, as, as you know, and as I'm sure some of the audience knows, we released our introduction episode uh, this past Saturday. It was Constitution Day. And uh, the rollout of that went fairly well, um, even though it's not the premiere. I, it went better than expected. And um, the whole idea it was just like what you were saying. We're going to find real solutions based in free enterprise, in, um, in liberty, in the Constitution. And we're going to be talking with uh, a great many people. A whole lot of them are, while politics is certainly going to be an underlying theme, um, there's not going to be a whole lot of politicians on the show um, who I include for my guests. There will be a few, but for the most part, um, we're going to be trying to find our solutions outside of not only Washington, D.C., but outside of the, the government entirely. And um, we're, we're going to be talking about things that certainly are going to step on a lot of people's feet. Um, we're going to step on toes. We're going to really make you think. We're going to empower you, educate you, uh, entertain you, hopefully. Hopefully I'm entertaining in, in some degree. Um, and, and the idea is to become a real community of people with, with a brush fire of, of freedom and of liberty. Um, set on, on their hearts, on their minds, and a community of individuals who, who want to take that brush fire and, and spread it around um, to, to the nation and to the world. And we have a lot of great plans set up for it. And tune in uh, Thursday. Sure. Thursday as, will be our As Alex Jones says, you're going you're gonna to start, uh, you're going to light fires of human liberty everywhere. Yes, yes. You may not agree with the source of that quote, but that's what you'll be doing. Yes, so, that's exactly right. <laughs> tell us where we can find you. Tell us where we can find the show. Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Caleb Franz, C-A-L-E-B-F-R-A-E-N-Z. Um, not E-N, because that happened the other day, and it's very odd. I've never had that happen to me before. Interesting. Uh, and you can find uh, Mill Liberty on Twitter. Um, at Mill Liberty, it's pretty simple. M I L Liberty, um, and we we got a great show lined up for you for our first episode. We I think I found probably the most um, touchy subjects I could find, and we're just gonna bring it right out there and remove the elephant in the room and just go straight at it. So I love it. Well, Caleb, thank you so much for uh, for coming on my show, and I look forward to your show. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Stephen. I'm sure you now understand why we are very excited to have Caleb joining uh, us on the on the podcasting network. I'm very excited to, to hear some of the first episodes of the show. Um, go ahead and, and follow Caleb and his show on Twitter and Facebook. You can also find me on Twitter at Stephen underscore Perkins, Stephen with a PH, and Facebook.com slash Stephen Perkins. As always, make sure to check out OutsetMagazine.com. 
and all of the other great writers and contributors that we have there. I love these people. Thanks so much for joining me on this week's show, and I can't wait to talk to you again next time. Thank you.